What's going on, folks? Welcome back to yet another episode of In Defense of Liberation, the show that is working towards and educating about a true people's liberation movement and one day soon a true proletarian revolution. But until that day comes, I am your host, Josh, and I'd like to say thank you so much for stopping by. If this is your first time stopping by and checking out the show, I would ask if you, uh, you know, enjoyed the show that you go ahead and leave a uh, honest rating and review, whether that's on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. I think you might also even be able to do it on Anchor. Um, But yeah, if you, you know, you like what you hear, check out some of the other stuff I have. I have a website where you can find my blog that is for liberation.wixsite.com forward slash website. There are no caps or spaces in that URL. Um, If you would like to reach out for whatever reason, you liked the show and you want to tell me what you liked about it, you have some ideas or questions about something that I said that you'd like to, you know, pick my brain or criticize and, uh, you know, um, uh, critique me on. Uh, Or, you know, you want to just straight up tell me I'm a stupid piece of shit uh, and that Marxism is dumb and that capitalism is the best thing ever. Dude, I'd love to hear from you. Um, I get bored at work, so please feel free to reach out to me for anything. You can find me on my social media. I have TikTok, Twitter, uh, uh, Instagram, and Facebook. And uh, you can also email me. I have an email, uh, which is indefenseofliberation at gmail.com. No caps or spaces. Um, Yeah, and that's really it. Uh, But, you know, uh, now that we kind of got that out of the way, there's a few things I want to say off the top before I get into this episode um, that are just on my mind and uh, don't necessarily connect, but uh, I found on YouTube yesterday a bunch of dope fucking interviews between um, Comandante uh, Fidel and uh, our uh, shining light from uh, Venezuela, the continuation of the Bolivarian Revolution, uh, Hugo Chavez, uh, some discussions between them in Havana uh, University, and uh, then I also found some pretty dope uh, interviews of Subcomandante Marcos from the Zapatista movement. Uh, That was a really cool interview as well because I don't really know much about the Zapatistas. Um, I don't really know much about their, you know, uh, history. So being able to watch those interviews, it asked uh, quite a few pretty cool questions. Um, And I thought that, uh, you know, some of those, sometimes there's like these random interviews you can find on YouTube mostly uh, between like uh, independent researchers and, like, reporters and, you know, some pretty cool and prominent, uh, figures like, uh, Fidel or Hugo Chavez or Subcomandante Marcos, uh, 
There's plenty of others that are really, really cool. And uh, I just figured I'd let you know about that. And uh, if anybody wants, I can send the links to those because those were really cool. The other thing I really want to say that doesn't necessarily connect to anything that we're talking about today. Uh, so there's like, uh, I don't know, there, there's a, there's really no necessity to bring that up, I guess. So anyways, let's move right into what it is I wanted to talk about today. So today, for those of you who might be listening to this uh, at another time, today while I am recording is January 6th. 2022, the one-year anniversary of the storming of the Capitol building by the far-right mobs in uh, 2021, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on in our political sphere that I feel like a lot of folks don't really care about, because they're like, oh, this is all just bullshit, a bunch of dumb assholes like Trump and all these fuckers like Matt Gates and Marjorie Taylor Greene, and it's like, we gotta, I think folks uh, like to meme on these people on social media, but these people have real power. Um, and it is a danger that a majority of them are gonna get away with uh, absolutely no consequences for their participation in uh, giving information to these people, uh, combined with also the fact that, like, the DEA and other, you know, organizations had. Uh, members and informants there on that day, um, and they didn't do much anything to stop what was going to happen, uh, and the funny thing is now going all over, like, uh, the news is essentially all these different, like, government organizations blaming each other for not doing what none of them did, uh, to stop any of this, um, and, uh, you know, it's it's called a, a fascist attempt at a takeover of the Capitol. And I think some people don't uh, always accept this definition because, you know, a lot of people talk about how um, even though it was such a, a chaotic scene um, versus, you know, more upright uh, rebellions, there wasn't this ultimate, like, guns in hands we're taking this shit down now uh if you watch a lot of the videos of like the different streams of the people who were there especially the ones that were pushing through the police to get into the building you see that like they're all looking around like what what the fuck do we do are we supposed to be going further da 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 and, like, you know, you watch some of the interviews and there's that fucking documentary, which I never checked it out, but I, I probably will, um, that, like, you know, they, a lot of the people that were there felt that, like, they were going to be protected, uh, that, like, nothing was going to go wrong uh, because they had informants in the government. And as we're seeing, nothing really is going to go wrong. Uh, and... Uh, to uh, connect it to another example that I think many people don't really know about or don't really talk about. In 1934, 
there was an attempted overthrow of the government of FDR by uh, quite a few people. Let me see if I can find the notes here. Yeah, so there was a plot to have a coup to oust the FDR government. And it was supposed to be led by this person by the name of General Smedley? God damn. General Smedley Butler. Oh my God. Could you imagine that poor kid's experience in fucking high school? But he did end up turning out to be a a U.S. general. So uh, he's kind of a piece of shit as it is. Not as much as a piece of shit because he ended up deciding not to do it. Um, he felt he couldn't betray his fellow, uh, uh, I think he, he was quite, uh, fond of the idea of, uh, soldiers' morale and unity, and he felt he couldn't go against, you know, other U.S. soldiers, go against, uh, really what he stood for, apparently, and so he decided not to do it. I don't know that that's the honest reason why it didn't happen, probably some shit went down, but yo... If you look up the uh, McCormick-Dixie Committee, you will see that one of the people that was helping to plan this overthrow was fucking J.P. Morgan. So let's draw the line between that and what happened on January 6th. So a majority of what people were mad about on January 6th, of course, was the election. But what does this really come down to? What is it that's really stoking the flames of this fire? It's this idea that certain representatives are going to appeal to certain sectors within society more than others. And because of the way that we do politics, because of the way that class society is structured, a class uh, oppression like the one that we suffer today, manipulates and confuses the minds of the reactionaries within the society in order to align with the class which is oppressing them. Now, of course, is it true that all the folks that were there on that day are working class people? I don't think so. I mean, a lot of the people that were there that kind of ended up getting caught all turned out to be, like, moderately well-off white reactionary folks, right? So, unfortunately, the uh, quite clear truth is the fact that that is a sector within society that has plenty of reasons to go against its own class and decide with the oppressors. There's a lot of benefits to come of it, or, you know, so they might think. Anyways, I just wanted to bring that up as a little aside because I think it's important that people know about that and nobody really talks about that. So that's what today is. That's what's going on. We got this uh, situation here in the United States where, um, you know, there's a whole lot of fuck shit going on essentially as there always has been. But let's kind of talk about how it, it got to be this way. Let's talk about how we got to the point that we are at today. So, the topic of today's episode is K 
capitalist democracy. The main point that I'm trying to argue is the fact that there can be no such thing as true democracy, as uh, it might be defined as a system of government by the whole population or all the eligible members of the state, typically by ballot and election. This idea of a system of government by the whole population is given a caveat in its following sentence, or all those eligible within the state. And this is where we must point out and we must understand that capitalism, as well as class society, make democracy a ruse. They make democracy only for themselves. And so true democracy cannot be had in a society where the main economic relationship is one of exploitation and the main social and political relationships are ones of oppression and repression. So, to get the full scope, we're going to try to reconstruct this picture. So, as Marxists have understood since Marx and Engels, uh, and probably even, uh, you know, some might say even prior, since Marx and Engels borrowed from many of the ideas of economists, sociologists, political economists that came before them. But Marxists have understood and have clearly uh, put out the analysis that the economic base to the society at large, the mode of production that that society participates in, in order to produce what is necessary for that society to continue is the base in the sense that this is where all the problems originate. Private property and private accumulation of capital. The contradiction that exists within capitalism that is most prominent and most connected to its economic base is the contradiction between the mode of production and the mode of accumulation. Meaning, the majority of people have been made to be the workers, the exploited working class makes up the majority of the world's, not just the United States, not just Latin America, not just Africa, not just Asia, but the world's population is a majority working class, meaning they do not own the factories, they do not own the apartment buildings, they do not own the 
education systems, nor do they own the media. They also do not sit in positions of power as board of directors, as government representatives, as police officers, as military officials. And so because of this, they are only able to survive, the working class that is, is only able to survive off of their labor force. Your ability to work and earn money is your form of capital. Whereas the mode of accumulation is totally and inherently based on a few amount, a small amount, a few people uh, benefiting and accumulating all of the wealth, all of the commodities, all of the resources, all of the power and control in their hands by the exploitation of the majority of the masses of people. Our mode of production is socialized. We all participate together in getting goods to our table, getting medicines into our system. Somebody has to produce them, somebody has to study them, somebody has to transport them, somebody has to uh, put them in uh, you know, pill form, somebody has to uh, run the pharmacy. All of these people are interconnected and socialized in the sense that the way in which things are being produced is through uh, a social process. We might better understand this by looking at factories, but factories are not the prominent mode of production within the imperialist core necessarily. But ultimately, factories have often been exported uh, and used to exploit people in the global south uh, further. But anyways, the... uh, um, If you look at a factory, right, you have all these people who are actively participating in producing a chair, a TV, uh, you know, a vaccine or a ventilator. And each one of them puts a single piece or puts a single part together and they therefore socialized that process. They each participate in the process of building that good. But since none of them can say they were the sole producers, none of them can own it. Only the capitalist can own it. This is the main contradiction in capitalism based on the mode of production analysis that uh, many Marxists want to uh, make sure that we understand. So we have to also understand the contradictions between capitalism and democracy. Capitalism blames the inequality, the poverty, the hunger on the laziness the lack of savings, the irresponsibility of the workers. It blames it on the restrictions and protections placed upon capitalists and big bourgeoisie. It blames the unions. It blames the communists and the socialists uh, for all of the economic strife that uh, the uh, ruling class has to come under. under. And they... uh, really project that onto the working class in a very clever way, which makes it, the argument is essentially this. We stole all your money. 
right? This is the capitalist speaking. We stole all your money and we had a lot of it. We had a lot more, right, than we're going to now. We had a lot more. But now, these trade unionists, these restrictions and protections, these communists and socialists are demanding that we pay a living wage, not a minimum wage. They're demanding that things like, you know, safe working conditions. They're demanding that things like pensions, health care, education services all be made free. So where are we going to get all this money from? See, the communists are trying to take money that could be yours. We would pay you more, maybe. We would we would consider paying you more, but uh, all of our money's going to get taken, man. How can we do this if they're going to tax us? That's essentially the argument of the capitalists, right? Well, we know that capitalism uh, benefits and ultimately rewards those t- who take advantage of one another. We know that capitalism rewards those who exploit the labor of others. We know that capitalism has a history of deep-seated connection to fascism, to oppression, and to exploitation. Democracy claims that we must build for the whole of society. Democracy claims that we must build so that all within society can benefit equally, that all can participate. Democracy claims that egalitarianism is the strategy which will allow for mutual benefit to happen within society, which will allow for uh, healthy and stable growth. Or so it claims. But we must always ask ourselves, how did this democracy come to be? One last thing I will say, we do not need capitalists, we need workers. In a factory, who is more important? The manager who chastises the worker for not working fast enough or the worker who is building the products that the manager, he himself or they themselves, is not building? Who is more important? The CEO and the board of directors who sit in offices or the sweatshop workers who produce all of the consumer goods which sit in the storefronts that these CEOs and board of directors make decisions about? Capitalism rewards selfishness. Capitalism also cultivates this reality, which I have discussed before in an episode, which I can't remember the title of, but I believe that it will have capitalism, capitalist realism somewhere in the title or the description. A few months back, I want to say right around September or October, because I believe that is when I read that book. But Mark Fisher quite clearly shows that what capitalism does is it really uh, creates apathy. It creates apoliticization or depoliticization. It creates antipathy. It also allows for an ahistorical analysis to be had and most importantly it leads to cynicism it leads to loneliness it leads to anxiety it leads towards depression it leads towards alienation and it leads towards isolation all of this is class struggle we forget as those of us who are conscious We commonly forget 
that we are not preparing for a war which does not already exist. We are not organizing so as to be proactive against this force that we know is coming. That force is here. So in understanding that this economic base, capitalism, the system that is based on constant growth, the system that is based on constant profit, the system that is based on a necessity to steal resources, to overexploit the land, to work people to death, to enslave people even. Let us remember that the foundations to capitalist uh, modes of production was feudalism, serfdom, and slavery. Let us not forget that today's society cannot be disconnected from the society that built it, whose birth marks it still bears. Enslavement, serfdom, these are forms of oppression. This is forms of free wealth accumulation. And the difference between the early plantations in the South, the early factories and manufacturers in the North, the early uh, trade of fur and other kinds of uh, commodities which led towards the uh, beginning stages of uh, the sex trade here in uh, the United States through the kidnapping and uh, sexual enslavement of indigenous uh, women and children and two-spirit folks. All of this is capitalism. All of this is what laid the stage, the groundwork, built the base for capitalism. Capitalism made itself to a point, made itself develop in such a way that it required further exploitation and oppression of people worldwide through the process of colonialism and colonization, as well as what continues to this day, imperialism. These are two reaching out examples, uh, or two examples of the capitalist country reaching outside of its own borders to further exploit and further oppress because that is what capitalism does. It is the only thing that capitalism does. Capitalism cannot be scripted in any other way other than in exploitation and oppression. But if we know this is the economic base to this system, then we must also understand that this economic base developed subsequent superstructures in politics, in society, in all forms of oppression. Democracy developed and is clearly explained in both state and revolution and also uh, left-wing communism by Lenin. It is also explained in neo-colonialism by Kwame Nkrumah and uh, how, uh, oh geez, it's by Walter Rodney. It's about uh, how Africa was enslaved, but I can't remember the title of the paper. Um, But anyways, 
Democracy is a development of the state so as to further solidify itself as an oppressive system or structure. Why do I say this? Because let us look at where capitalism comes from. Capitalism comes from feudalism, right? Capitalism comes from uh, serfdom, slavery, uh, colonialism, etc. Capitalism ultimately is developed in such a way where it requires the further oppression of people by the system. It's just a different form of oppression. And let us look at who the capitalists are. If we look at who builds the base of the capitalist class, if we look at who made up the bourgeois during the bourgeois revolutions here in America, here in Turtle Island, or across the world in Europe. We have the wealthy landowners and the land surveyors, the slave owners and the plantation owners. We have the... uh, Uh, representatives of the crown. We have the uh, soldiers and generals who uh, were not simply uh, conscripted, but had a military career, such as George Washington, the first president, also the most wealthy person in American history at the point in time when he was first elected to be president of the United States. Let us not forget this. Where did he make his wealth? Land surveying, stealing land from indigenous people and putting black slaves on that land, putting brown individuals on that plantation that are going to be completely tortured and oppressed in ways that many of us can never understand personally, even if we study history. I stress this most importantly because one thing that is commonly forgotten is the fact that, again, the United States has nothing worth saving. This is Turtle Island. This is a nation that was created through the oppression, through the uh, exploitation, and through the extermination of indigenous populations. Over 88 million people lived on this land, and by the time that George Washington was president, less than 50 million of those people were still left alive after hundreds of years of colonization by Spain, by France, by the Netherlands, and by continued exploitation of the land by the oncoming settlers and the colonists from England and from elsewhere. And so if we do not center this in our analysis... We get folks who want to have a patriotic socialism in one of the most fascistic nations that has ever existed. We have people who are calling for, uh, you know, the USS of A, the United Soviet Socialist States of America. This will never happen. We need decolonization. We need black liberation. We need Latinx and Chicano liberation. We need Asian liberation. We need immigrant liberation. And we need land back. We need full decolonization. And we need to overthrow and put an end to the U.S. empire overall. Period. End of story. No more United States of America. Because this is the history of capitalism worldwide. Whether it's the French, the Germans, the English, the Americans, or whomever. 
This is the history of the capitalist system. This is what built its foundations. So we have to ask ourselves, democracy, right? Who is this democracy for? Who do we see benefiting from this democracy? Well, let us look at the halls of power that this democracy ultimately decides. If we look at the halls of power, who's there? Pharmaceutical lobbyists. You got senators that each of them got millions and millions of dollars. You got folks like Ted Cruz, Joe Manchin, who will never, ever, ever pass social spending bills. They'll never allow climate change bills to go through. You got folks like Joe Biden, who helped write legislation in the 70s that helped to develop the student loan system as it exists today. Because prior to that, our grandparents and my parents, who are old as fuck, could go to college and not be in life-crippling debt for the rest of their lives. But then you got folks like Biden, who is going around saying he's going to relieve student loans. Buddy, think back 50 years ago when you're the reason why we even have student loans. You got a Congress and a House of Representatives full of people who have really no control over the systems because they're all going at each other. They're all just yelling. They're all just disagreeing. All for spectacle because when they do that, guess what? Bills get through. Bills get through that we never hear about. And the bills that are important to us, they don't go through. Let us ask ourselves, democracy for who? Who benefits from this capitalist system? Who sits in the halls of power? Who is the wealthy? Who is in control of the resources? Who dictates what the media puts out and what the education system teaches? Who decides what laws and legislation will be passed and who will suffer because of them? Who decides that petty crimes will be subject to fines that the average working class person cannot pay, but severe crimes like wage theft, like uh, environmental destruction, like uh, uh, the military's involvement or the CIA's involvement in military projects all over the world that have caused destabilization, that have caused math, mass death, that have caused destruction of entire homelands in Iran, in Afghanistan, in Syria, in Somalia, in Africa, in Asia, and in Latin America. Who decides that those crimes will not be seen in a court of law? Who decides that those people will be found not guilty? Who are the judges that sit on these trials? Who are the lawyers that get paid millions of dollars to sit and defend these absolutely atrocious crimes against humanity, like nuclear proliferation, like the destruction of water by Enbridge, ExxonMobil, Shell Oil Company, and many others. Who decides that it is legal and okay for the United States government to continue to sell arms and continue to fund the Saudi Arabian genocide of the Yemeni people in Yemen who decides that the United States can sign NATO pacts and further uh, nuclear uh, deals with Australia, with the United Kingdom, with the Ukraine, with Romania? Who decides that this is okay? 
And who gets away with it? These are who benefit from democracy. Because democracy, as it is understood today, must be seen as yet another version of the state that allows for the further oppression and exploitation of the working and oppressed people across the world by the wealthy bourgeoisie. This is what democracy under a capitalist system is and can only ever be because capitalism is an exploitative system because democracy led by the capitalists, by the imperialists, by the oil executives, by the military, by the absolutely oppressive and exploitative sectors within society can only be a democracy for the ruling class. And it has only ever been a democracy for the ruling class when democracy has been tried under the capitalist system. This is true. This is historically proven. We can look at Eastern Europe in countries like Lithuania, Finland, Poland, Belgium, and see that in fact, The supposed democracies that the United States claimed needed to be replenished after World War II during their Cold War and uh, intensified aggression against the Soviet Union, these democracies were fascist democracies. They were capitalist democracies that sided with the Nazis. And not only did they side with the Nazis, as Michael Parenti points out in one of his interviews, talking about the connections between capitalism and fascism, he says not Not only did these countries in Eastern Europe prior to their socialist projects side with the Nazis, but they were sided with by the Nazis. The Nazis supported the countries in Poland. The Nazis propelled the Lithuanian governments and the governments in the Ukraine. The, The Germans and the Nazis during Hitler's reign were the reason why these countries, which were once supposed capitalist democracies, turned fascist because when Germany did it, when Italy did it, when Spain did it, these countries said, we got friends, let's do it too. Because they never act alone. They never take on anything that they cannot handle alone because they are cowards. Their entire life is based on the destruction of the lives of others. They are evil. They are absolutely unnecessary and irreconcilable with a society that calls itself democratic. Democracy under capitalism is democracy for the rich, democracy for the powerful, and democracy for the slave owners, whether they go by that name today or not. If you don't believe me, let me ask you this. If you're, you know, maybe a fan of history, I like history. I wanted to be a history teacher. Um, you're a fan of history. We know that, in fact, um, in Europe, in the Americas, the advocates for what we now call democracy were most often a developing class which existed in the middle between the oppressed and downtrodden poor and the ultra rich and wealthy monarchy and absolute 
ruling class. This is where the conception of what we might call the middle class ultimately originates. Old Europe prior to the end of monarchism. So if you hear people today talking about the dissolving middle class, the last time a middle class truly existed that could be said to be that inherently different than the working class was at a period in time in which kings and queens still ruled. Now, when we look at the bourgeois or democratic revolutions that happened all over the world, who do we see leading them? We see the wealthy shop owners. We see the individual producers. We see the tax collectors. We see the landlords. We see the uh, wealthy land surveyors like George Washington. We see a lot, a lot of people who look, talk, act, and have the same interests as our ruling class today. The same ruling class who decided that during one of the most dangerous economic, social, political, environmental, and uh, physical public health situations, decided that in fact we will not dedicate the amount of money that this administration promised upon its arrival that it would be working towards in order to pass legislation that would help with health care, with labor, with child care, with everything that is desperately needed right now. And instead, they decided they would give $58 billion more dollars to the military. Now, this is $58 billion on top of $720 billion. So, over the course also of the next 10 years, the United States will be spending some $3 trillion on developing certain technologies, missiles, and uh, new uh, uh, aircraft carriers that are supposed to be environmentally friendly. If you don't know, the United States military is the largest polluter in the world. The largest leading producer of carbon emissions and pollution is the United States military. Just wanted to throw that out there real quick. Let me grab my notes, make sure we're going every, going over everything I want to say. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's leading the capitalist revolution? Who, who's leading the democratic revolution? Who's getting into power, right? You see a lot of the same looking folks that we see today. We see the people who are rich. We see the people who have power outside of the halls of government, but are able to combine the two into a further oppression of both the political and the economic fields of life. This is full domination. This is class war. This is an ongoing struggle for domination of society. 
of power. This is class struggle. This is class war, and they are winning. So, again, whipping out the notes. If we, uh, if we look at one of the most important things that shows us how a state has developed into being a part, or, or how democracy developed into becoming a new form of the state, one of the most important ways that we can understand this is through a quote that Marx puts out there, and I think Lenin and plenty of others repeat him over time, where a revolution must be fought to its logical conclusion. Meaning, if we are fighting under a uh, class society and we are struggling and vying for power, if we do not ultimately overthrow the entire system as it exists, as one based on the exploitation and oppression of the majority of people in society by a minority who holds the power and wealth in their own hands, then we cannot say that this was truly a proletarian revolution. But in fact, it was a bourgeois revolution that shifted the power from absolute monarchs to absolute capitalists. We cannot understand this as anything else. The, quote, revolution that happened here on Turtle Island that supposedly founded the uh, American project was, in fact, a counter-revolution in many ways against slave uprisings, against a call in Europe to an end to slavery, as well as a demand that the colonists and settlers do not continue advancing west. So what do they do? They say, fuck you, I want to kill some more people. I want to steal some more land. Let's let's have ourselves a little revolution. But it's not like they, you know, overthrew the system, turned around and said, all right, y'all, everybody's free. Go ahead and do uh, popular power. We're going to give everybody within society the opportunity and uh you know ultimately the duty to participate in society through uh active uh administration of the political sphere we want to ask that everybody participate in the struggle for changing the economic systems no it's not what they did they said all right cool no more king uh we're gonna go ahead and have slavery keep going we're gonna keep uh genociding uh kettling and uh, torturing indigenous people. We're going to go ahead and, you know, bring uh, some reinforcements over here, some reinforcements who, although they might not be, you know, explicitly uh, racist upon arrival, their very existence and use as a frontline force against the resistance of indigenous and black people will be used as, you know, propagandizing machine a uh, educational tool to turn these, uh, you know, immigrating folks uh, from Europe and elsewhere into uh, racists who will fight willingly against uh, indigenous peoples and others. We uh, have to kind of understand this history in this way, otherwise we we lose a lot of the context. And so 
because of that, the people who ended up benefiting from this revolution did not ultimately completely change the structure of this society. It's still the majority of people suffering under the oppression of a minority for the benefit of that minority. Um, And so because of that, ultimately, the whole structure of society as a class society, where, again, some have and some have not, uh, has not changed. The only thing that has changed is the faces who ultimately sit and uh, represent this system. So in moving forward, right, this is this is how democracy exists under a capitalist system. This is how democracy came to be in Europe and here on Turtle Island. So we must know then that this democratic system is a lie because now the people who wanted democracy for themselves do not give democracy to their subjects in the same way that, you know, maybe kings and queens at a certain time uh, fought for uh, their own rule because they thought that maybe they would rule with a less iron fist than their father or than this person in the surrounding region. And so they take themselves and the people that are loyal to them and they have a little, you know, coup and they overthrow power and then they uh, go ahead and just become kings themselves. This is not much different in any, you know, real uh, concrete and material fashion than the rule of the capitalist or the capitalist representative who in fact will not listen to uh, his or her constituents, who will not listen to their uh, subjects, who will not pass legislation and laws that benefit the poor, exploited, and oppressed majority, but will in fact only pass laws and legislation that further protect and enrich the already wealthy and powerful bourgeoisie. Because of this, we have to understand that the democratic system is, as I said, a new form of the state. And so when people call communists and socialists non-democratic, because they want to lead by dictatorship of the whole class, we must understand that is what already exists today. It is the dictatorship of the bourgeoisie that is in charge, but its representatives have built a nice little game that happens once every few years in different places for different uh, you know, new roles and exciting new uh, uh, responsibilities which usually go to individuals who are already on the payroll of, you know, massive oil uh, extraction companies or pharmaceutical firms or the IMF, USAID. Now we got fucking QAnoners in government. Like, what the fuck are we talking about democracy here? These are representatives. These are people who are put in these positions of power to ultimately perpetuate and support and uphold the ideas of the ruling class. This is the only way that we can understand democracy today. And so because of that, right, we have to dig a little bit deeper. We have to understand that capitalism is inherently tied to fascism through its own dialectical development and class struggle. So we know class society has existed 
for a long time in many different ways, in many different forms, in many different times. We've had early slave societies like the Greek and Roman empires. We've had feudal societies like in Eastern Europe and all throughout a lot of Asia, right? And we also have capitalist societies like in Western Europe and in the Americas where uh, colonialism, imperialism, enslavement, uh, mass termination, genocide, sexual exploitation and enslavement of women and children, the development of the matriarchal family as a form of oppression by the patriarch of uh, its his domestic slaves, his wife and uh, his children. All of this builds the base of the capitalist system. So how different really is a capitalist democracy, right? Which really exists in this way and a fascist society. Because if we look at countries like Italy and like uh, Spain, if we look at countries like England and France even, although they were never explicitly fascist, the ties between the fascist uh, dictatorships and the capitalist uh, class show that ultimately capitalism, although not necessarily always fascistic, is inherently tied to and cannot be separated from fascism. Some of the earliest societies that first began to develop capitalism became fascist societies. We cannot ignore this historical pattern that happened all throughout Europe. The United States, too, during the 30s, as is shown in the book um, Hitler's American Model, not only did the U.S. laws themselves, such as segregation, Jim Crow, the lynching laws, um, all of the uh, laws on immigration, such as the Quota Act, Japanese internment, Chinese exclusion, the way in which we uh, view intellect, physical ability, and things like that, which were examined on Ellis Island as a prerequisite to being allowed into this country, all show tendencies of fascism. And so because of that, we must understand that also the United States had a huge fascist movement during the 20s and 30s. We had a Madison Square Garden event where swastikas and pictures of George Washington and Thomas Jefferson were hanging with 30,000 plus people in attendance. We cannot disconnect this from the history of this country. We cannot disconnect this from capitalism either because a majority of those who have to be convinced that fascism can take place are the capitalists because they are in control. They have their representatives in government. So if someone like Hitler, if someone like Mussolini, if someone like Franco comes along, they have to get the confidence of the capitalist class behind them. That is why Hitler had what was called the Dusseldorf Conference where Hitler and other Nazis from the National Socialist Party, and I must you know, stress that this party in and of itself existed as a uh, form of propaganda to convince people who thought that socialism would be good because they would get the benefits of it, but not because their form of socialism would continue oppressing other people. Uh, they didn't quite understand that this was not socialism, that the National Socialist Party had nothing to do with socialism, 
other than in name. The Dusseldorf Conference was when Hitler met with some of the most uh, wealthy and powerful industrialists and capitalists in Germany. He told them that your blood is better than the poor's. You work harder, so you deserve what you have. And, you know, you do what you need to do. I'll do what I need to do. And we're going to go ahead and take care of this, you know, socialist uh, uh, uprising. We're going to go ahead and take care of the communists. We're going to go ahead and take care of the Jewish folks, the black folks brown folks. We're going to go ahead and take care of immigrants. We're going to go ahead and take care of disabled folks. We're going to go ahead and take care of women, of gay folks, of LGBTQ plus folks. We're going to go ahead and throw them all in either work camps, which again, that's free labor. That is just straight up wealth accumulation for the German government and for the Nazi party. That's all those slave camps were. And if they couldn't labor, they were killed because ultimately fascism is an attempt by the capitalist ruling class at a final solution of the class struggle in favor of the ruling class. Whereas we, the working class, want to wage a class struggle to eliminate the ruling class and to ultimately propel the proletariat towards the dictatorship of the entire class of oppressed and exploited people, the ruling capitalist class wants the opposite. It wants the termination, the exploitation, and the full enslavement of every and every single working person and exploited person worldwide. Those who cannot work, the elderly, the disabled, those that are deemed unfit will be killed, are being killed, will continue to be killed because that is what fascism does. That is what capitalism does. That is what imperialism does. That is what colonialism does. That is what patriarchy does. That is what class society does. How different, really, and I only have a few things left to say here, how different, really, are the speeches of Reagan and Bush to Hitler and Mussolini? How different is the phrase by Reagan that one-third of the world's population will always remain poor, unhoused, and uncared for? Quoted by George Jackson in His Blood in My Eye, where he calls him the true leader of what he said was the Fourth Reich, the United States of America, true fascism was already here, has already been here, and has been explicitly pointed out by many. So now, before I close, we got to talk about how do we fight this. Now, we have to fight this by getting a clear analysis of what capitalism is, how it is connected to fascism, how the class struggle works, right? We also have to analyze whether the system that exists here in America can allow for our participation through uh, the destruction from within, by being elected to positions of power, by becoming uh, representatives in uh, government positions, we have to ask ourselves, and I'm not saying one way or the other, but we have to ask ourselves, in America, is this something that can be done that will lead towards a repoliticization of the people, or will it lead towards a depoliticization of those individuals who go into those bodies of government? And so if that is a question we're asking ourselves, we have to ask ourselves, how do we avoid these issues? How do we build power outside of these halls of government while also trying to find ways to build power legally, while also trying to uh, propagandize and politicize the masses legally? How do we form ourselves to actually be able to uh, fight when that's not a possibility, when we got to go underground, when we don't get elected, when we don't actually have parties and organizations that can hold individuals like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez or Bernie Sanders accountable to their word? 
How do we go forward without any kind of organization? How do we begin to build this organization? How do we begin to foment this class struggle? Well, first and foremost, this class struggle is always and already being waged by indigenous black, brown people and immigrants and transgender folks and gay folks and all kinds of oppressed and exploited people already worldwide. The second thing we need to do is we need to learn. We need to take the leadership of those who are already fighting. We have to learn from their example. We have to learn from history. And we have to get with our own communities and organize them. In the white communities, we have to organize people so that they see the attempts of black, brown, indigenous people, immigrants, gays, and others fighting for their liberation and freedom, not as an attack on white uh, existence, but as a elimination of white supremacy, which all will benefit from, except for those who want white supremacy. So if these things frustrate anyone that you know, if the things that black, brown, and indigenous people are fighting for here in the United States and across the world pisses someone off or gets them mad, that's because they know deep down that they benefit from this white supremacist and exploitative system, and they want to find a way to become one of the exploiters. That is the only excuse, the only deep-seated reason why anyone would oppose something like this. The last thing we have to do is we ultimately have to take those lessons and we have to apply them to reality. We have to organize. We have to teach people what's going on. We have to give them the tools to free themselves. We have to teach them how to grow food, how to shoot a gun. We have to teach them whether or not, you know, participating in this form of politics is uh, good versus that form of politics. We have to teach them that sometimes you boycott, you know, elections. Sometimes you boycott taxes. Sometimes you boycott work. Sometimes you boycott businesses. But to just simply remove yourself from the political, social, and economic spheres and expect by trying to separate yourself, you are somehow not a part of that class system. You are somehow not still being exploited is ridiculous. We cannot just allow the representatives and the ruling class to just have power and think by ignoring that, that we are becoming revolutionary. We are not. The only revolutionary strategy is taking down the system from within, that is within the belly of the beast or within the political institutions, depending on the tactical situation that can only be decided upon truly by the masses of people that are being exploited and oppressed in that given circumstance. If you look at Black Power by Stokely Carmichael, a book that tells people how they got the people in the South to become politicized, that cannot simply work uh, in and of itself in every situation at every point in time. We have to have different strategies, we have to have different tactics, and we have to have an intention to overthrow the capitalist system, period. So whatever we do, illegal or legal, above ground or under, uh, with the masses or uh, before bringing it to the masses, we have to do it with the intention of overthrowing the capitalist system as a whole and leading the revolution through to its logical conclusion where class society is ultimately being fought by the dictatorship of the proletariat, which is building a scientific socialist society to grow towards communism. Thank you for listening, folks. I hope this was informational and I hope you enjoyed some of it. Please let me know what you think. Reach out if for any reason you would like to. And until next time, stay safe. Stay revolutionary and stay lovely, folks. We'll see you. Peace.